It is good to be with you, and so good to see you here together to worship God and study His Word. We'll open your Bibles to Genesis. Let me apologize for Wednesday night's invitation. I called out the wrong book and said that several times and read from the correct book. So hopefully some of you were able to figure that out, you know, that I was giving you the wrong name of the book of the text that I was actually reading from. But we are starting in Genesis. That is the correct text, Genesis. God's character does not change. God is. He is the same yesterday. He's the same today. And he will be the same tomorrow. And it is that unchangeableness of God that fortifies trust. Your trust, the kind of trust that allows you to know with confidence that you can count on God. And because Jehovah is the holy God, his yes is yes. And his no is no. There is no deceit, there is no falsehood in God's words. God has spoken. And you can be assured that his words are true words and are always true words. Time and time again, God has shown us in the Bible, throughout the scriptures, he has shown us his trustworthiness. And because he is the true and living God, because he keeps his covenants, because he is faithful, we are able to to realize that he will act according to his word. He will keep and carry out what he has told us. I've chosen the text in Genesis chapter 21 because in our study on on Wednesday evening, this phrase really caught my attention. And I want you to turn there to the 21st chapter of Genesis, and we're going to read those first three verses. And it says, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did, the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time in which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Now, we're very familiar with this account, and having studied this recently, it is fresh on our minds, but I want you to focus in on that phrase, the title of our lesson tonight, that is, as God had promised. So here you have the birth of Abraham and Sarah's son, and they had the son Isaac because God intervened. That's why Isaac was born. God intervened. But not only did it happen just because God said so, we're told in this particular text that, yes, this happened because God said so, and it transpired, it happened when? At the appointed time that God had chosen. And so, yes, they had a son in their old age because God said they would, but they had it at that particular moment, at that particular time, because God had appointed it to be that way. It happened just as God promised. 
As you think about that concept, and particularly revolving around Abraham, you know, the unveiling of God's plan to use Abraham, of all men, as a chosen vessel to, to bring about, to offer God's blessing to all nations one day. What amazing plan that is. And so we recognize in that, that you, know, you think, okay, God spoke to Abram way back in Genesis 12. And Abram was 75 years old when he first gave this promise and told him you know, that I'm going to bless you, I'm going to multiply you, I'm going to do great things through you. Genesis 12. And then you turn some chapters later, you look there in chapter 17, and you see that at 99 now, 99 years old, God is explicit, explicitly telling or reminding Abraham that Sarah, Sarah, your wife, will have the son that I've been telling you that you're going to have, and you're going to name that son Isaac. And sure enough, that happens at the appointed time that God had appointed and so the servant Eliezer of Damascus and the son Ishmael, they were not the promised son. Why? Because that's not what God promised. That's not what God promised. Exodus 9. Exodus 9. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, we're told. And it was hardened by God's sent plagues. Just as the Lord had spoken. And so there's a couple times in the ninth chapter where that is expressed. Verse 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not listen to them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then at the end of the chapter, you know, it repeats that phrase again. He says, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the sons of Israel go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. God knows the hearts of all men. God knows your heart right now. And He knows my heart right now. God knows these things. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, we're told that all is laid bare before our Creator. There's nothing hidden from Him. God knows all. God sees all. God even knows all before all happens. God knows hearts. And Jesus knows hearts. In John 12, in John 12, early on in the ministry of Christ, it says, Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. Why? He says, for he knew all men. So he's early on in the ministry, so he's not entrusting everything to everybody. And he says he's not doing it because he knew men. He knew their hearts. goes on to say he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So God knows hearts. And so we should we be surprised that God knew Pharaoh's heart. And he knew how Pharaoh's heart would react. And he knew also that what would harden his heart. That should not surprise us. And so Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God's sent plagues just as the Lord has spoken. But when did, he, when did God refer to this? Because he said something about it before it happened. Well, back in Exodus chapter 7, before, before the plagues take place, this is what God says to Moses. In Exodus 7, 
says to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I, God, command you. And your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And when Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know, they will know that I am the Lord. And I, and I stretch out, when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Jehovah told Moses that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. When you, when, when you request that my people be let go, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. But he goes on to say, but that's going to give opportunity for God then to multiply these wondrous judgments on Egypt. And in turn, the Egyptians will know that I am God. But it happened just like God said so. He had promised, he promised Moses that Pharaoh's going to harden, harden his heart and it's going to take all these things before he lets you go. Joshua's 13 now. Joshua 13. We now jump in time. They're living in, uh, in the land of Canaan. And uh, well, we see that God was the inheritance of the tribe of Levi as he had promised. Now, it is through Joshua that God conquers, or through the leadership that God conquers, you know, the land, and the land is divided up among the 12 tribes. And so, yes, Abraham's descendants did receive, they did receive the promised land of Canaan just as God had promised and the land was divided up among those tri 12 tribes. But just note there in the 13th chapter, those two verses, where we're kind of keying on this phrase, you know, where God has spoken or as God has promised. Where he says there in verse 14 about the tribe of Levi, only to the tribe of Levi, he did not give an inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as I spoke to him. Drop down several verses. You look there in the 33rd verse. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses did not give an inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he had promised them. So God had set Levi, as we know, had set them apart to serve him. And to serve him in a manner that God had sanctified. And you can go back and read it early on in the books of Moses. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, you, you, know, you have Moses making reference to this you know, of, of the tribe of Levi. At the time, the, you know, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark, to stand before the Lord to serve, and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is inheritance just as the Lord your God spoke to him. Well, you know, that is expounded again later on in Deuteronomy. You look there in Deuteronomy 18, where he says, Levitical priests, the whole tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance 
with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised. So here you have the setting aside of the, of the Levite tribe to serve the Lord, to serve in regard to the temple and the tabernacle on the ark and all of that. And so you have this very privileged ministry. With this privileged ministry, they were blessed with a very unique relationship with God. And God says, I will be your inheritance. And because I'm your inheritance, you know, you're not going to receive any large tract of land, but rather you're going to constantly receive portions of offerings and sacrifice throughout your generations. And Moses, as he's guided by the Holy Spirit, is told to make sure to write down and say, as God had promised. One more Old Testament example. Turn over to 1 Kings. Excuse me. There. I... God blessed Solomon with amazing wisdom. Kind of wisdom that no one before him and no one after him ever had. And once again, when you look at that passage and examine chapter 5, verse 12, you find God making reference to this through you know, uh, the record, the inspired record of the history. And he says again, Reminding us over and over and over and over the lot that God gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him. And there was peace. And you know the story. God offered a, a young Solomon. He's just become king. He's offered young Solomon, you know, whatever you request, just let me know what you want, Solomon. You find that recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. Well, Solomon understood that being king was a privilege. But at the same time, he realized there is this sense of feeling inadequate. He's given this amazing privilege, amazing opportunity, amazing honor and responsibility to be king of God's people. And he was, in a sense, wise as to know to ask for wisdom. And so that's what he does. And so in the third chapter, verse 9, he says, He asked God, give your servant an understanding Heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. And because of that, because the young king asked for discernment, he asked for, you know, to have understanding in regard to justice, God says, I'm going to give that to you. He promised to give him a wisdom and a discerning heart like no other man had or ever would have. Solomon surpassed all. But why? Why? Because God promised. That's why. Now, in addition to that, God goes on and he gives him riches and honor. He blessed him in all these other ways, but he received the wisdom that God promised him that he would receive. What's the point? Time and time again, we see God's word reminding us the unfolding of these events, the, these recorded a record of the history of God's people that things happen, things occur just as God has spoken or just as God has promised. But the point is, there is the surety of God's word. And the surety of God's word is a testimony of his faithfulness. 
And so, for example, in the New Testament, uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, if we are faithless, you, you may be faithless, I may be faithless, but God will not be. If we are faithless, it doesn't change God. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so God will do what he promises every time. Then and now. Hebrews chapter 6. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise. That includes you and me. We are heirs of the promise because we are in Christ. That's Galatians 3 right there. And we're all one in Christ and heirs together in Christ. And so, wanting to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, what does he do? He interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We have taken refuge we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement. Take hold of the hope set before. Why can you take hold of hope when everything around you appears hopeless? Why can you take hold of hope and anchor yourself in a storm? Because God has promised. That's why. God does not change. God is faithful. And he wants you and I to be assured of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.9 says the same thing. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Jesus Christ our Lord. We can have fellowship with our creator, with our God with our King and Savior, and with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God is faithful. God promised. He promised. So what has God promised us? What are some things that God has promised us which we can be assured will transpire? What are some things that we are, we are promised, we are told, that, that are revealed to us, that we can be assured it will happen? And you think about the, the examples that we very quickly you know, touched on. You have God speaking about a son, about a man's heart, about an inheritance, and about wisdom. Four very different areas of consideration. A son, a heart, an inheritance, and wisdom. And in each case, what happened? In each case, those events transpired just as God had spoken. Just as God had promised. And so therefore we can be assured as well of what God has spoken. And what God has promised. And I've chosen four things. And these are not the only things that God has promised. But I've chosen four things for us to very briefly contemplate as we think about 
God is faithful and God has promised us. He has promised us things. And so you turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Where we read that God dwells in his people. God dwells in his people. He's promised you that. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are, we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. We are the temple of God. We are the sanctuary of the Holy One. Just as he said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Says the Lord Almighty. What has he promised you? He has promised you that he dwells in you. He dwells with you. Because God desires and God promises a relationship with you and me. That's what God wants. And he has wanted this kind of relationship from the very beginning of creation. His whole plan of choosing Abraham and bringing that that plan into fruition and fulfilling it through Christ is so that God, again, could walk among his children. And we are told if we will cleanse ourselves of our fleshly defilements and if we pursue holiness, he walks among us. He walks among us. Over in in, in 2 John 9, we are assured of that fellowship. He says, if you abide in the teaching of Christ, if you abide in the teaching, you have, you have the Father and the Son. It's not maybe you have. He says, you have him. If you abide, you have the Father. In the Son. We know we're in Him, and we, and, and we know He's in us. In 1 John 2 5, if we keep His word, we're told. God dwells in His people. God dwells with His people. God has fellowship with His faithful ones. And you can be assured of that. He will not forsake you. He's there. He's there. The body was saved. In talking about just the the collection of of, of the saved, of the gathering of, uh, of believers in Christ, who are they? What are they? Well, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that this body of the saved, those who are saved in Christ, they are God's temple. And they're being built up as the temple of God, that he may dwell in them. Over in 1 Timothy 3.15, 
we are told that that same relationship is a household of God. Why is that? Because he's our father. And we are his sons and his daughters. That's why. It is a household. It is a family. God's promised you that. And you can stand firmly in faith and confidence and assurance of that relationship. What else do we see the gospel unveiling to us? Well, he faithfully forgives as he has promised. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, you're familiar with that particular verse. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, in the context, is addressing Christians. It's addressing those who are in fellowship with Christ, those who are saints. You know, those who are the true believer. So it's not talking about the one who needs to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. It's talking about those who are saved and assuring them of forgiveness. And so in verse 9 he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. So when his children, when we are added to Christ's family and we become a child of God by grace through faith, and we are now a son of God, we are a daughter of God, and when we sin, when we stumble, when we are wayward, he says, if we'll turn back to him and confess that to him, if we'll confess that to our father, he says, I am faithful. I'm righteous to forgive you, son. To forgive you, daughter. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The new covenant in Christ is all about, it is all about providing the way that God may mercifully remember our sins no more. That's what the new covenant is all about. It's all about God providing a way that he can mercifully remember our sins no more. We can have this amazing relationship that he becomes our father. We become his sons, his daughters, and he remains true to his character. He remains just in his nature and still can forgive us because he loves us that much. Trust God. Trust God. He promises you that he is faithful to forgive us, his children. Trust in the words of forgiveness. Trust in the words of salvation. Trust in this promise of forgiveness. And rejoice in it. Rejoice in the cleansing and the renewing that comes to us as children of God when we turn back in humility and penitence and prayer. That we each and every day, we can be renewed again and again and again and again. Because God is faithful. God acts and carries out His will just as He's promised. Now third... 
point to make, and that is God will take care of you by providing what you and I need along the way. So we turn back over there to that familiar text of Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Just kind of glance there at a few of those verses that help us make the point this evening of what God has promised us. And you look there in verse 25 as Jesus is preaching his sermon and sharing with us the will and the words of his Father. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. He could have stopped right there. But he doesn't. And he says, For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have a little faith. Verse 32. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God will take care of you. He will provide for you along the way. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say, you know, it's always going to be in abundance. But he does say, you don't have to worry. And you need to stop worrying. Because your father knows you need these things. The one who has become your father and chosen you, has adopted you to be his sons and his daughters. Now, we know people in general usually worry. And especially we worry in times of uncertainty. That tends to amplify the unsettledness that sometimes creeps into our thoughts and our hearts. But what God is saying here is, trust me. Trust me. Over in chapter 7, when Jesus is talking about ask and you receive, knock and be open, it's in that context in verse 11, he goes back to this father-son relationship. And you remember what he says? If you then, being evil, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and how true that is, we are imperfect Parents. We are flawed parents. Parents who need God's grace. Parents who have turned to the Lord because we need saving. And if we know how to give good things to our kids, how much more, how much more will your Father who is in heaven? Leland kind of emphasized that was one of his points this morning about heaven. 
And what a, a, a significant point is to be allowed to see, ha, be in a vision of heaven. He says, your father in heaven, how much more will your father in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? What has God promised you? He's promised that he will take care of you. He doesn't say it's going to always be easy. But he says, you will have to trust me on this, he says. You will have to trust me each step of the way. I really like 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the admonishment and the exhortation that it is to saints of God. There in the context of the church in Corinth and the brethren in that congregation being admonished and exhorted and encouraged to be givers. To be cheerful givers and abundant givers. And in that context, he says, verse 8, God, so you've just been told you need to give and you need to give bountifully. You need to give with purpose in your heart, cheerfully. And then he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad and he gave to the poor. That's God. God scattered abroad and gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And he comes back in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Where does the seed come from? It comes from God. And so the seed that the farmer puts in the ground, then harvests it, and then all of that goes to their hole, getting it ready, putting it on the shelf for you to go to the store and buy it so easily. Where did that ultimately come from? It came from the one who supplies the seed. That's where it came from. The one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. Listen, the one who's done that will supply and will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So it's not just talking about seed, seed. What you're sowing now can produce an increase, abundant harvest of righteousness. God will take care of you. He supplies, he multiplies, so that we have the sufficiency in everything to abound in good deeds of righteousness. He didn't say he's going to supply everything so we are rich monetarily. That's not what he's saying. But he said, I will, I will abundantly give you what you need all along the way so you have everything you need to multiply your sowing and multiply your harvest so that you have this increase of good deeds of righteousness. God's promised you and me that. Sarah bore a son to Abraham. Why? God promised. Pharaoh hardened his heart because God said it would happen. He knew. Levi was the inheritance. God was the inheritance of Levi. Why? Because that's what God promised. Solomon, the wisest man on earth that will, that will have ever lived, is because God promised. What does God promise you and me? He's promised you and me a relationship, a fellowship, a family in Christ. 
He's promised us forgiveness. He's promised us provision to meet our needs. And he's promised us that the Lord Jesus is coming back one day. He is coming back. Acts Acts 1. You have the ascension of Jesus Christ recorded. And as the 11 apostles there are looking up, still staring into the heavens. And Jesus is now gone. It says, two men in white clothing stood by and then said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? Why are you still here? Why are you still here? Jesus has said this was going to happen. Why are you still here? And they go on to say, This Jesus, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. You can count on that. That's not a maybe. That's a certainty. It's as certain as death itself. But Jesus has conquered death. Who's who's the greater? Jesus. In Acts 17, we're told that he's appointed a day. That is, God has appointed a day. He has fixed a time. Sarah had a son for Abraham at the appointed time that God picked. God has fixed a day that he will judge all men in righteousness according to in the, through the man that he's raised from the dead. Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, in his, in his exhortations to the church and the brethren of that ancient city of long ago, says this to them. After all, it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. 2 Thessalonians 1.6. It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. The angel said, he's coming back. Don't stand here looking to heaven. Get to work. You need to do what the Lord told you to do. Don't stand here. Because he's coming back one day. And so Paul writes about that. He's revealed from heaven with his angels. And what's going to happen in verse 8? Well, he's going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty. These will pay the penalty. Of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. And to be marveled among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is coming back. That's a promise. And that's a God promise. He doesn't lie. His yes is yes and his no is no every time. He doesn't vacillate. He's not some shifting shadow. You can count on God's promise. 
And when the Lord Jesus comes back, he's going to judge. He's going to judge all men. And we're told the disobedient, those that don't know God, the unbeliever, and those that don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will what? They will be punished. It's that simple. And terrifying. But at the same time, he says, the saints, they will be glorified. They will be lifted up to meet the Lord in the air, to be with him forever in heaven. How do we know this? How, we, how can we be assured of this? Well, because God has promised. His word will always be upheld. And his word will always be carried out. And so we need to take confidence. We need to take assurance in what God has promised. But at the same time, we need to be fearful as well. Fearful of what that promise means. To those that do not know God and to those that do not obey the gospel. If you're not a Christian, that should scare you. God keeps his promises every time. But that you can change that. Because God wants to save you. God wants to have fellowship with you. That can change because he's provided a way that he can justify the sinner that believes and remain just. Never contradicting himself. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the son of the living God, and you're ready to make that commitment to the Lord tonight, we want to encourage you to do so. Confess your faith with your mouth that you believe he is God's son. To repent of your sins, to turn away from the past that separates you from your creator. Be buried with him in baptism. And begin that new walk where you can be assured of the promises of God. That he walks with you. He forgives you. He will provide for you and he will glorify you one day. If you are a Christian. And there's sin in your life that you've not corrected. You've not made right with your father. You need to do that. And you need to do that tonight. And if we can assist you in making your life right so you can be assured of the promises of God. We invite you, Kurt, to please come now. We stand and sing the song. Let's